everybody. Uh, welcome back to Expanding Your Horizon. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Stoner, owner of Horizon Managed Services. And today, our guest is James Stahl, owner of Turkey Systems. The Turkey Systems is a, a, an MSP based in Texas that focuses on dentists and the dental vertical. So without further ado, James, why don't you uh, kind of jump in and uh, tell our audience your background, what kind of led you to uh, wanting to own and operate an MSP uh, focusing on dentists of all things. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's kind of a uh, funny story because I didn't start in healthcare or dentistry. I um, I actually started off as a, a generalist, so to speak, because I've worked for a lot of different companies over the years. Um, I've been in IT for about 20 years now, and I've worked for companies such as State Farm, Amazon, Caterpillar, just to name a few. Um, so I've had quite a, uh, a wide variety in my career, which has been nice. But uh, for the last, oh, nine years or so, I've been in uh, dental. Uh, I worked for uh, what's called a DSO, a dental support organization, where we had about 33, um, 34 practices across three states. And I was the director of IT and security officer for them for several years. And then this little thing called COVID hit out of the blue that uh, I, I don't think very many people know about it. But no. uh, basically, our owner threw up his hands and said, you know what? This is a great time not to be in dentistry anymore. So uh, a week and a half after I moved down to Texas, I lost my job. And quite frankly, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I now, uh, after that, I couldn't find a job because so many people were looking at the time. And... Uh, so I started my own, and that's how I ended up uh, starting Turkey Systems. And I, my focus is still in dentistry because I've got all the old connections. I know the technology very, very well. And thankfully, dentists would rather work on teeth than computers. So I've got about a dozen clients now and, and going strong. I, th I think uh, most of us these days would rather work on teeth than computers. Uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I mean, what? Was there any um, any meaning behind the name Turkey Systems? It's a it's a unique name for a for an IT company. Usually, yeah. there's not many gobblers that we come across. So, yeah, well, you know, I've I've always been one to gobble around, but um, the name actually is after my grandfather. Um, he loved turkeys. As a matter of fact, he served in the military as a combat engineer for the army for about twenty two and a half years before he retired. And then he owned his own cleaning business. And when I was a kid, I worked with him. And I always thought, you know, if I ever own my own business, I'm going to name him after him because he taught me how to run a business, essentially. And um, so when I was looking for names, Turkey just kind of came naturally because uh, when he passed away, I inherited all of his turkeys. You could probably see some from behind me, um, among many, many others. And uh, there's... No other Turkey systems in the world except for a government contractor for the country of Turkey, and they make weapons. So it's hard, hard to, to differentiate between a weapons manufacturer and dental IT guy. So yeah. uh, it, it, it worked out. It worked out. Well, very cool. I mean, in your, your experience at the DSO, uh, you know, I've had conversations before about just kind of what you did and, and all that. You were running a team uh, of engineers, of, of support technicians, correct? And you were you were focusing more on policy, if memory serves, and high-level architecture? Yeah, it was kind of a combination. So as the director of IT for them, I managed the entire 
department, my uh, boss, good guy. I st- I, he and I still chat every now and then. Uh, he um, was his focus was in training. So when he inherited IT, and he brought me on originally, actually as a contractor, um, and because uh, I was doing my own thing at that time too, uh, also Turkey Systems back then. And uh, anyway, long story short, uh, I started with them. And as their uh, IT manager, then became director, but I was always running the department. Uh, at uh, my largest size, I had about uh, a staff of five. We uh, had a total of around almost 800 employees and um, over 500 endpoints in total for, for workstation endpoints, I should say, mobile endpoints. That doesn't include printers and servers and everything else. We had about 60 servers. I typically managed... Um, the uh, server and infrastructure side, whereas my guys mostly focused on help desk and uh, endpoints and, and um, variety day of other, day. yeah, day-to-day operations and stuff. And I tried to stay out of that because uh, I didn't want anything to do with it. But um, a lot of it also was policy and the HIPAA security rule, doing the security risk assessments, making sure our policies aligned with our HIPAA uh, 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 focus. Uh, things like that. <clears throat> yeah, and I know you and I have had had numerous conversations about HIPAA. We don't serve uh, at Horizon. We don't typically serve much in the the HIPAA space. Uh, our focus has historically been more manufacturing, industrial logistics, and kind of the the non regulated service businesses. However, I, it's HIPAA and other compliance frameworks uh, for different businesses and verticals are becoming more and more commonplace, uh, and specifically with dentists. I mean, HIPAA is the big thing with healthcare. Uh, and so when we've had conversations with, with dentists and other healthcare related firms, a lot of the small businesses tend to think that, well, HIPAA is great for in concept and it applies towards the big guys, but not us little fish. Uh, can you speak to, to that and what HIPAA does or doesn't apply towards and, and what you do or don't have to do for HIPAA? Honestly, if, with your with your manufacturing background, I'm sure you're familiar with ISO 27001. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of difference between those two other than HIPAA is for protecting patient information. There's a there's few changes, but a lot of the architectures are similar because a lot of them are based off of NIST. HIPAA is the same way. HIPAA follows the NIST rule set. Um, so they go hand in hand. So if you know NIST, you know most of it, most, most compliance frameworks, really. Um, not just ISO and, and HIPAA, but, um, with HIPAA, there are some specifics, but it applies to anyone in healthcare period, including support companies like myself, uh, and technically even, uh, other vendors that supply the medical industry. Although if you ask them they, uh, they, they tend to shy away from it based off the way some of their stuff's built, but, um, yeah, a lot of them say they're not worried about HIPAA, but a lot of them don't understand it. If you ever take a time to look up the HIPAA wall of shame, uh, there's a there's a website that shows essentially the OCR, the uh, the strong arm of uh, the HHS, which is the governing body over HIPAA. That's basically their uh, their whack a mole wall, the uh, companies that they've ended up going for and uh, had breaches in. And uh, um, HIPAA does apply to anyone that 
handles uh, what's called PHI, which is patient health information. And HIPAA outlines 18 identifiers, and you need three of those 18 for it to be considered PHI. So, for example, things like uh, addresses. You know, address, technically, I mean, you can look that up in a phone book, address and name. Um, address, name, and phone number. Again, that's still in the phone book. But because of those three things together, that is also considered PHI when it comes to the medical industry. And you have to protect those. So legally, everyone has to follow it. Now, who the OCR goes against, they try and go for the larger larger fish, so to speak. However, what we're seeing is they're getting more and more aggressive because they're seeing the small practice operations um, and they're they're looking at these as not following the rule sets, ideally. So they're going after smaller and smaller game. Uh, so the faster you are to making sure you are compliant, the more protected you are. And there's some wonderful frameworks out there that you can follow that can help get your practice uh, or if you are supporting a practice, help you as a business associate is what they're called as a, a vendor supplying a healthcare covered entity, which is the doctors and things uh, to be compliant. That's interesting. Now, my understanding of HIPAA is that it's just alongside like ISO, you mentioned 27001 earlier, <laughs> is it's a lot of it is about attesting and stating, here's my policy, and then verifying that you follow the policy. Um, and, and that it's not so much a, HIPAA isn't so much a, a dictation of you must have X standard and Y standard and Z security and, and all that, but it's more about crafting policies and then ensuring your team are trained on those policies and that you're following them uh, to try and make a a, a commercially reasonable best effort to securing patient data. Is that a, a fair summary of, of uh, the HIPAA's goal? There's actually a joke in the industry uh, says HIPAA is not about security at all. It's all about process, procedure, and documentation. And, and quite frankly, it is. There's nothing about HIPAA that is security. It's about what you do, how you do it, how you have it documented, and most importantly, how do you prove that you did what everything that you said and wrote down? Uh, you can literally have, now there are some things that are called required, but there's a lot of rule sets that are, uh, that it considers more elective per se. Um, those things, you can, you can literally set policies that say, I'm doing the exact opposite of this, but that's okay as long as you can back it up. But here's where it comes down to the auditors. If an auditor doesn't think it's reasonable, you're still going to get hooked. Um, so you have to pass the auditor's scrutiny. And that's not a scrutiny you want to, uh, that's not a line you want to hit very hard. Because yeah. some like auditors can test. come down pretty hard, as I'm sure you know from ISO. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it's unlike some... <laughs> It's not where a, a, a practice or a dentist can go and just write a check and buy a set of policies that are HIPAA compliant and they've got it in a binder and, and therefore they're good. It's it's more that they need to document how they operate and they have to, to take what is a reasonable attempt, make it a reasonable attempt at securing and tr safeguarding the confidential information that they're entrusted with in order to fulfill their role as a, a medical practitioner. 
Absolutely. Matter of fact, like take that for example, that, uh, that towards the end of what you said, if you say, I'm not going to upgrade this Windows XP system, which we know is very, very out of date, mm-hmm. you need to say why. Well, because it costs too much. That's not a reason why. They're going to ask for your books at that point, and they have every legal right to do so because they have every right to come in and audit you and take a look, basically look up your skirt, so to speak, and see everything that's going on in your business to make sure that you are truly trying your best to be compliant. And if they say, you know, yeah, this computer costs, you know, because maybe it's running a special machine for, and that machine costs $20,000 for example, but you can get other systems for, for reasonable amounts and you have the money in the account to do so. There's no reason for you not to be compliant with this. And that can hurt you. Matter of fact, with HIPAA, um, there's kind of a rule of thumb. While while this rule of thumb isn't exactly 100% accurate, right? But again, it's it, it, it's a rule of thumb. It's $50,000 per incident is the, is the fine that you're looking at. It can be higher. It can be lower. There's a lot of variables that go into this. But that's kind of the rule of thumb in the industry of uh of a of a budgetary mark so to speak and, and is that for uh, accounting across all sizes of practices or is that more in the the small practices the local practices is the rule of thumb is you're looking at about fifty thousand and in, in, in fines it doesn't matter okay um like i said and that, and that number can be a lot bigger that number can be a lot smaller prints and it just depends and there's a lot of it depends on uh, that that are earmarked in that but well let's say you have 500 records that are uh, breached because somebody left, uh, put it on a uh, USB stick and lost that stick. And that stick was not encrypted. Well, when you're at that number, that's 50,000 times 500. That adds up very, very quick. It does not matter if you are a massive international hospital or if you are the small town mom and pop dentist. Yeah, that that's twenty five million dollars right there. So that's not just fifty thousand per breach; it's fifty thousand per record in with contained within the breach. Each record is considered its own incident, and you can have several. You can even have a couple incidents per record, depending on what's in that record. Again, there's a lot of earmark. It depends, sure. and a lot of that stuff is settled in the court system. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. Throw a dart on the wall. We'll see what can, what happens, what sticks. Mm-hmm. But it it, can, it at least gives you a budgetary figure of this is this is they're putting this in not because they want to hurt businesses, but they want to make sure they understand if you do not follow this, there are consequences. If you are neglectant, we are going to whack you with something that you are not going to like because it's going to hurt. Yeah, I mean it, it's carrot and the stick mentality. Is the the, the carrot is just do what you can, or like it was a pre-HIPAA was you should do it because it's the right thing to do. And HIPAA is more the stick of you need to do something because you haven't been doing it. And now we're going to incentivize you by hitting you where it hurts uh, if you don't do it. Um, and that's like every compliance framework, really. They're wanting to get companies more secure because so many security is an extra step. It's mm-hmm. an extra cost. It's an extra headache. Y- you have to pay for these things. And that's something companies, a lot of companies don't want to do. They just want to make it work. Does it work? Yes or no? Yes. Great. We're done. And it's not that at all. 
IT used to be a break fix type of a thing back in, you know, the 90s when it didn't matter as much or the 80s. But now that technology is surrounding us and, and incorporated in every facet of our lives, pretty much, we there's a shift. IT and your systems are a process in and of themselves, not something that uh, you just broke so you need to fix it and move on. Yeah, I mean, it's we saw similar... Um even though we're not, we typically don't work with HIPAA regulated um, businesses. Uh, we, we have, we've worked with accountants uh, and we've got several accountants as clients right now and going into the end of 2022 uh, leading into the, the tax season beginning uh, like January through April of 23, what we're in right now, uh, the IRS in order for accountants and tax preparers to be able to create the registration that they need with the IRS to, to file on behalf of their clients had to put together what is called a WISP, a written information security plan. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a similar structure uh, to at least, at least from a, a goal or direction, the objective of it is similar to what HIPAA is and that you're putting safeguards in place to ensure that the data that you are storing on behalf of your clients, you're taking reasonably and commercially reasonable uh, steps to secure and protect that information. Like, for example, we, we, we met with one prospect uh, accountant back uh, in the fall of last year. Uh, and, and we noticed as we're walking in that in the hallway, the entryway to their, their, their business, they had filing cabinets just sitting outside of their, their office space. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we're having, we walk in, we have a conversation, we do the, the whole um, the discovery process and all that. Uh, and I just, as part of that, asked, what's in those? Like, why do they have them there? Why, why are their filing cabinets sitting outside the office? And their answer was that because they had run out of space to store the filing cabinets within the walls of their office. So they had moved them out into the lobby. But, uh, and my next logical question was, well, how do you ensure that they are secure? And their answer was because they're locked. They have a lock on those filing cabinets. Now, yeah. I don't think I need to tell you that uh, most filing cabinets use basic wafer locks or at best are going to use a CH751 key, which is like the world's most common open everything key, cabinet key. Um, and if it's just a, a way for lock, you can open it with a paper clip and just kind of like blowing into the lock pretty hard. Yeah, they're not they're not really meant for high security. They're meant to create the illusion of security and that those need to, they, they stop the honest people from getting into them. But it, they'll still need to be stored in a secure environment in order for those cabinets to be considered secure. Uh, and, and, and so like that, that was a client we didn't end up working with because what they were after was a template cookie cutter, a piece of paper that they could have that stated, here's my written information security plan. Here's my WISP, hand that to the IRS and they're good to go. They, they wanted to treat it like just a document that was dead. It wasn't a living document. It wasn't something that they, that kind of grew and ebbed and flowed with their business, but rather just something that they had to fill out and turn in like some homework. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's quite common, um, both in large and small businesses. Um, you would think it'd be mostly prevalent in smaller businesses, but I've seen it across all industries, quite frankly. Very few companies, when they say, we take security seriously, actually take 
security seriously. Like a lobby is a public space. Even HIPAA states that, you know, uh, you know, when it comes to patient information, that has to be locked down. Yep. Now, yeah, you can use locking file cabinets, but they have to be a true lock type system, not just a little wafer type lock. So they'll have locking cabinets for uh, theirs if they have paper records. A lot of them are moving away from that now onto uh, uh, digital computers. Yeah, because digital records, you can implement digital controls to secure them rather than having to deal with the physical space security requirements <laughs> that come with the physical records. Uh, if, if I were to just put you on the spot and say, what are the three most common things that a, a, a your typical small, medium dental practice could do to improve their posture or should consider with regards to HIPAA? Maybe th something they're not considering today that, you know, HIPAA does actually apply here or this record really is HIPAA. Like to me, the, the, the idea that the name, address and phone number, which is I can look it up in the phone book is considered PHI uh, is, is, I mean, I know that, but it's still, it, it's still jarring to hear every time you hear it because it's so commonplace that we, at least as Americans, don't really consider that as confidential information or protected information. So what would you, what, what advice would you give to the small dental practices out there? There's a handful of things, and this doesn't apply just to dental. This is any healthcare uh, uh, covered entity is what, what HIPAA calls them. So any healthcare provider, um, you need your BAAs, that's your business associate agreements. You know, if, if the OCR walks in, they're going to be asking for a bunch of initials. BAA is the first one. That's your business associate agreements. In other words, what agreements do you have with your vendors to basically say your uh, patient healthcare information is safe and secure and what their responsibilities are and what you are responsible for? There's a wonderful template out on the hhs.gov website that you can get that can help you form that. Um, I highly suggest, though, if you're a healthcare provider, get a HIPAA lawyer. They know a whole lot more than I ever would or any podcast or anyone or anything you read on the Internet. Get them involved because that's going to be your best resource to help craft that properly for your practice because every practice operates a little different. The next thing, and the uh, this is the second biggest thing that I don't see people, a lot of uh, covered entities doing, and even providers do not do. Um, and a provider, I mean by you and me, so the business associates. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, your own security risk assessments. So this is a risk assessment that you sit down and you look at your entire environment, both physical and digital. And you go through, okay, what's my best practices here? What am I doing? What, am I, uh, what are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? By law, your, your HIPAA states that you must complete a security risk assessment at least once a year. And you have to complete one if you make any major changes. Like, for example, you change um, your, uh, uh, your patient management system. Uh, to 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 another vendor, or you change your imaging system, or you change big processes. Even as long as you do it once a year, you're pretty well covered, especially for the smaller providers, because you don't make a whole lot of changes that often. Mm -hmm. But having that security risk assessment documented, because they're going to look at several years in a row, because they want to see. They don't care how bad you rated per se. What they want to see is what improvements you make. 
because again, it's a process. Yeah, here's your baseline where you started, but in year two, this is what changes you made. Year three, year four, year five, and so on and so forth. And also changes to the risk assessment yourself. Again, HHS has a great little utility. Um, get ready though, because it can be very time consuming the first time you go through it. It has about 250 questions that it goes through. Um, there are, again, tons of systems out there that can help you do those risk assessments. Like I do one for my clients um, uh, where I've, I've crafted and I just make sure it goes against the rule sets. There's uh, other vendors out there that supply it and, and the like uh, uh, and compliancy uh, providers that can help you with those things. So don't be afraid to ask for help. You're going to have to make sure that it's done. And last thing is your policies and procedures. You've got to get those documented. You have to make sure every single employee knows where they are, what they say, or at least know where they're at to look them up to say what they say uh, and have signed off on them annually. Um, because that one, uh, a lot of companies, while well, they'll have like uh, certain certain processes documented, they may not have all their security policies documented. Most of them don't even know what a security policy is or what kind of policies you need. Again, there's tons of great frameworks out there. HIPAA has a great resource on some things. Uh, if you do a little Google foo, you can find all kinds of policies that you can apply. And you can make them as simple or as complex as you want. Uh, what I usually recommend to my clients is put it in your employee handbook. That way it's all in one thing. I provide a uh, system for my clients that has a nice outline of all the, the policies that they need, uh, gives them nice templates that they can work out of and craft it to their own. Again, a HIPAA lawyer can also help you with a lot of these things too, or your IT provider can assist you like I do for my clients. And making sure employees sign off on every single one of those each year and tweaking them each year to make sure that they're up to date and accurate. Again, like you were talking about that live document, you, this is not just a set it and forget it and walk away type deal. Yeah, I think for me, um, the one bit of advice I'd give any any small business owner dealing with HIPAA or frankly, any compliance framework that they need to, to their business needs to abide by or within is that it, you can't just think of this like a car that you go buy and then maybe you get uh, an oil change once a year or uh, rotate the tires every so often. This is an ongoing process. Uh, and I know if you've been a business owner for a while, you've been a, 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 in a dental practice or a practicing uh, dentist for a while, that used to not be the case. You used to be able to go buy the server and then the server runs for five years or 10 years or whatever the case may be. And then when it dies, you just buy a new one, uh, treat it like a commodity. The reality is, though, we live in a data centric world and it's it's not about the server so much anymore and securing the server as it's about securing what's held within the server um, and, and not to really derail this conversation too much. But I talk to a lot of small business owners that they'll tell me, you know, I hear in the news all the time about these big companies getting breached. But what that tells me is they're not going after, I'm too little for them to really go after. I don't provide any value. Uh, and, and what we're seeing, I mean, as, as IT professionals, we see a very different story than what's painted in the news. The, the big household names, 
get airtime. I mean, the news is all about ratings. And if it, what's the saying? If it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, it's, it's the bigger the name, the more eyes that they're going to get on that, that report, which means the better the ratings. But what we're practically seeing out in the real world is that the small businesses are getting breached three, four, five, six times as many as the, the larger businesses, because it's not about targeted attacks for these small businesses. The, the, the attackers are just casting a net as far and wide as they can and then pulling it in and seeing what they're able to catch with that. They're not doing anything. Uh, they're not targeting you maliciously. They don't have a vendetta against you, Mr. Dentist. What they're doing is, does, is anyone vulnerable to this new vulnerability? If so, let's exploit it and maybe we can make some coin. Uh, and, and so it's a different world out there today than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And just operations have changed so that you need to be con continuously tuning your business and your security practices. And that's the thing there that um, gone are the days of the geeky little teenagers sitting in the basement and war dialing, you know, seeing what mischief the, they can cause. Now it's all organized crime. Mm -hmm. These malicious attackers are very well organized businesses than themselves, but they're businesses to steal money from legitimate business owners. And like, uh, uh, they're actually, I read a statistic not long ago. It's like over 80% of businesses are small businesses. That's the attack that they're focused on because they're usually easier mm -hmm. because they don't have the larger budgets. And But that's a, also another key. Any type of security that you do, that's an investment. You know, yep. you buy a lock for your door. That's an investment. You still have to lock the door and you have to do it every single day. If you get an alarm system, well, that comes with a monthly fee because you now you have someone watching over, checking everything. You have the security cameras, you know, that's another layer that on top. And a lot of people, what I run into too, is like, how much security do I really need? This is getting ridiculous is, is what they'll come back as mostly because they don't want to spend the money. They don't see a benefit because they haven't been breached yet. But that little three letter word is the big kicker. Because if you talk to a client that has gone through that, they understand the absolute pain and misery that comes along with that. Um, because it hurt, hurts them and impacts them greatly. I mean, can you live without your business for four days, still be able to pay your employees or a week? Well, yeah, that's the risk that you run. It's a, it's a huge risk and, and not even from the four days, like you're, or you, let's say you're shut down for a week where you can't operate while you're trying to get your data back. Uh, you, you've lost a week's worth of effort, but let's take this typical, typical small business and the typical breach. It's not just that four or five days of an impact, like the, the impact and the, the repercussions from that, that breach is much greater and it ripples and it creates lack of confidence in your business. You're going to have lost customers. You're going to have employees that, that get nervous and will likely leave because, Hey, you didn't pay them for a week, uh, and, and all that. And the typical small business, the cost of a breach is over $600,000 these days between hard costs and money going out to try and recover it to vendors and insurance carriers, and maybe even trying to pay off an attacker to, to, to return your data and the loss of revenue that comes downstream 
from a breach. And so it's, it's in a lot of ways, very short sighted to say, well, I'm going to save $2,000 a year by not implementing security practices or whatever the figure might be. That's likely going to be more than two grand a year, but it's what you're going to, to see. And, and by finding a, a, a provider like myself, like James, uh, and I'm, there are others out there that focus on the value that really talk and, and drive to find ways of increasing the return on that investment, making it so you can sleep better, making it so that you, you don't have to worry about uh, whether or not you're going to pass the, the HIPAA audit or not, or whether you're CMMC compliance or, or anything, any, whatever compliance framework you need to meet. There's value in, in soft costs that you're able to recoup from investing hard costs, hard dollars into these security practices and frameworks. So one thing that's always interesting to me is uh, they're worried about security getting in the way because like in dental practices, a lot of these dentists are running pretty hard, right? And their, mm -hmm. their, their staff are too. You walk into a practice, they're all running around. Nobody's sitting because dental is very high capacity, high, high traffic areas. And other practices may take a slower approach, but that's what I see in dental. And um, I have a, I get feedback from my uh, practitioners I work with. Of, I'm, we're worried, James, about implementing this security practice because it will slow us down, make us not efficient. Um, my argument is security is not something that should get in the way per se. Now, again, if you buy a lock, you still have to lock it. If you have an alarm, you still have to set it and you have to unset it. But as long as your processes follow that and you accept it, security should never get in the way. If anything, it should complement what you do, right? So when you log into your system, that login should carry you through all the various systems because once it's seamless or mostly seamless, it makes it really easy to continue working and you don't have to re-log in or redo this or redo that. Uh, because when you have to repetitively do things, it can get in the way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's costs involved though, to make it a much smoother transition. But what you run into is those hidden costs will often save you a lot more money than the cost to implement them does. Being able to balance that out and understand the, your costs from a business perspective, right? From a time saving perspective, not just a hard, here's money out the door cost. But on the process aspect, you will see where a lot of these things are not that expensive, really, in the overall uh, overall scheme of things, and can make you, A, a lot more, a lot more secure, and B, it can actually help you work more efficiently and effectively because they won't be in the way. It'll just be part of the process. Last a couple seconds, and you move on. Yep. Well, hey, uh, this this conversation has been great. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, if if anyone has questions or wants to to get a hold of you, uh, how can they reach out to you? Uh, Absolutely. Um, my website is uh, turkeysystems.com. That's turkey like the bird. A lot of people say turnkey. Uh, we don't turn keys here. We go gobble gobble. So make sure you put in turkey. Um, the other thing is, is uh, I'm actually starting up my own. Uh, uh, podcast slash YouTube channel too. And it's called James on IT. You'll find it there on YouTube. Um, there's also a Turkey Systems out there, but uh, 
um, that I haven't posted anything to yet, but um, you'll find me out there and uh, uh, love to have you follow. Great. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, put links to, to your website and your YouTube channel and podcast uh, in the show notes. For, so anyone who wants to, to reach out can get a hold of you. And uh, yeah, anyone listening, if you got questions, you have concerns, you want to bounce ideas uh, in a low, no pressure uh, environment, James and I are always here to, to, to help you out. So feel free to reach out. Thanks again, James. You have a good Thank one. Thank you for having me.